Well, welcome to a another episode, first episode in a while, uh, legit episode anyway, of the Deep Dive. Um, my name is Brad. I'm our online ministries pastor, joined by Dan and Chris. I don't even know what your guys' titles are anymore. I've spent a lot of time with you. I, I saw hesitation in your eyes when you're like, I'm with. <laughs> Dan and Chris. <laughs> yeah, I just want to um, check. Just want to make sure. Let's just go with uh, St. Charles Campus Pastor, Mid Rivers Campus yeah. Pastor. Yeah, that's, our, that's what we do. That's CPs. our function. <laughs> um, anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a while. We had an episode back in December where we looked at Joy to the World, uh, that song that we focused on uh, throughout uh, the month of December as we led up to Christmas. And then uh, the last, like, really true deep dive was back in. November as we were wrapping up the Galatians series. And so it's been a minute. Um, we're excited to get back to this weekly discipline of opening up God's Word and uh, kind of asking questions that we maybe don't have time to fully get to uh, in the sermon um, during the weekend, but we do want to unpack and talk about a little bit more. And uh, yeah, so today, this is the first episode where we're in a new series uh, called Relationships. Uh, we're looking at the life of Jacob and uh, his story and God's redemptive arc, the way he used those relationships in his life to ultimately lead uh, to his Old Te- you know, the Old Testament people of God. And then ultimately um, Jesus came uh, from there. And so on this first kind of episode, this first you know, discussion, we're gonna just kind of set the stage for what is, what is it we're gonna be talking about? Um, who is this Jacob guy? What's going on in Genesis? Um, yeah, so before we dive in, fully. Um, I, I'd love to ask you guys, uh, you guys both grew up in kind of different church contexts. Yeah. Uh, what were some of your just initial memories of or impressions of this guy, Jacob? Yeah. Uh, would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think with all the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, um, there was this sense of okay, there are moments of faithfulness and goodness. And um, obviously you could see God working in all of their stories, Mm -hmm. but also there's a lot of just broken humanity. Mm. And especially with Jacob, we see him in a pretty deceitful posture, um, lying about uh, several things um, throughout his life. And we see that God is still gonna work in, in his story, in his descendant's story. And right, eventually, like, this is the line that Jesus is coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, but in his own life and his direct family unit and even the family units that are affected by his direct family unit, there's a lot of griminess. Like, there's a lot of brokenness that's happening within these family systems. So I think on one hand, it gives us a little hope that um, even though we can't draw a direct correlation from a family in the ancient Near East mm-hmm. to maybe how our families function here in the West in the mm-hmm. 21st century, I do think it can give us some hope of like, okay, even in our family dysfunction and mess, um, which can be assumed for all of us, like we've all got brokenness and craziness in our families, uh, that God can still work even in those pretty tough places. Mm. So I find hope in it, but also um, we're just reminded that even though these patriarchs are kind of held in this certain esteem, um, I mean, their their broken humanity is on full display in their story. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dan? 
Um, well, first, I think you said griminess. Yes. I, that's a great word. Mm-hmm. Um, Grimy. I wish we had, like, the Sesame Street thing where it could now pop up. Mm-hmm. Like, 10 points for anyone who uses the word grimy or griminess for the rest of the episode. Uh, also in the comments, 100 points per written word. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I really am grateful for my upbringing. I grew up in a Christian setting, Christian home, uh, very involved. It was a church that had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know, it was, it was, we did that thing in the 80s. Um, we really liked the idea of Bible heroes of these are the people we're supposed to emulate our lives after. And as you pointed out, like, yes, God did incredible things in their lives. And I think there is some credit due where, like, you know, when God showed up, it was Jacob, right, who wrestled. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, just wouldn't let go. And he does um, exhibit some moments of significant faithfulness. He's a patriarch. Um, but there are these other things. And I always thought it was kind of funny. Like, why can't we tell both sides of the story? Why does he have to be hmm. only a hero or a villain? Uh, why can't we talk about a pretty uh, broken, grimy, as it were, kind of guy who um, God still interacted with? And then in that, we don't have to make excuses for his actions um, or his kids or anything. Then we can say all that God said is true about our world, like in terms of morality, is still true. He Mm -hmm. shouldn't have lied. He shouldn't have deceived. However, um, everything that's also true about God is still true. He's gracious and merciful and shows love to thousands uh, of generations. So um, that would be my take on it. The other thing, because of all of that, that I just find uh, funny um, is, is the way that names sometimes among believers are more okay than others. Like hmm. uh, I, Mandy and I, we wanted to maybe name a daughter Delilah at one point because mm. it means like the lily. It's mm-hmm. kind of a cool, oh, man. And like our family, like we just knew we don't want to fight this battle for her whole life. But like Jacob would have been fine, you know, like yes. not the lily, but we did. We do have a daughter named Lily. Actually, yeah. we just went around it. But um you know, to name someone after the great deceiver of scripture, like, you know, uh, that would have been just okay. So anyway, um, yeah. that's what my background and upbringing has done to my, my brain. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. It's a little grimy up here too. Yeah. I think for me, uh, you know, I, so I, I am a twin. And so there's like a weird a connection, twin. a redheaded twin, right? Yeah. Um, a weird connection to this story, just cause as a kid, I remember being like, Oh, Hey, I'm a twin too. This is, and as the, the younger, uh, my brother is a, a minute older than me, and he likes to remind me of that. Um, shout out to Craig. Yes, shout out Craig. <laughs> uh, I yeah, there's just a, kind of a familiarity or a connection there. Um, it's interesting to me though when you look at the life of Jacob, we get a lot of him as like this young man, mm. and then he pops up again as this old dude, mm. and we don't have a ton of his like adult adult life, um, or at least as much of. Um, so anyway, it's just a random kind of thought but yeah he's got this just this really detailed um you know when i think of throughout the bible you don't get this much of one person's life like we don't even get i mean there's obviously four books you know devoted to three years of jesus's life essentially but Mm -hmm. you don't get this level of detail over this um, amount of developmental time so i'm really looking forward to the next seven eight weeks yeah yeah um, okay, I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, we are we're in the book of Genesis. 
Um, I want to set kind of the stage a little bit because sometimes I think whenever we come to the book of Genesis, we have certain questions that we expect it to answer, mm-hmm. and at, at least at, at first. And then we kind of find ourselves in the story without really understanding why we're in that story. Um, you know, Genesis was written essentially after the fact, right? The, it's not being written in real time. It's not a, just a narration of events as they're going. This is something that, um, you know, God through Moses has written for a reason, for a specific moment in history with its own context. And so I want to kind of share a little bit about, about that. And so you guys, um, why was Genesis written? Who was it written to? And then what are we, when we get, to, like what has happened so far in the story to lead us to Jacob's immersion on the scene? Mm-hmm. Well, it's written post-Egypt. So post um, what we would call kind of the the Egyptian narrative that kind of in really is caused because Joseph ends up in Egypt and then eventually the people find themselves mm-hmm. in a place of slavery and then we kind of see the Exodus narrative and um, God delivering his people and in this moment God doesn't just bring out his people for no purpose like he actually is committing himself to a people and he gives them a person purpose and he gives them uh, a covenant and he meets with them and there's the Sinai episode mm-hmm. and all this. And so in all of this, um, there is now a, a writing record of this people for the people who have been brought up out of slavery um, pre them conquering the land mm-hmm. um, because Mo- Moses tragically never actually gets to kind of inherit the land yeah. that was promised. Yeah. Um, and so what you continually see building is that God has a people who are the holders of his promises, and he's committed himself to these people through a covenant, and they're kind of moving towards the land. But they've also got this really messy history, um, this patriarchal history, and then also this you know time of slavery that... Um, and their brokenness and their sinfulness and God still working through all of that um, kind of plays out in a lot of what we see in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then, you know, eventually Joseph ends up in Egypt and mm-hmm. that's kind of the setting from which Moses comes from, who mm-hmm. is, you know, the guy writing these things down. Mm-hmm. And the questions, right, that they are, I, I just remember, you know, one of my first days at Covenant, uh, Jay Sklar, one of the Old Testament professors, um, I had never really spent, like I cognitively knew, okay, Moses, you know, God used Moses to write the first, you know, however many books of the Bible. Um, and that was kind of the end of like my undergrad education when it came to like Old Testament history um, or uh, Pentateuch and got to Covenant. And I remember it was one of the first days Jay is just kind of going, just painting a picture of what questions this group of people coming out of Egypt um, with this essentially missional calling and uh, this special identity. Um, So anyway, yeah, Dan, what questions, you know, Hmm. were on their mind? Yeah, um, (laughs) probably is the sand where I'm about to sit while I listen to the story hot or not. (laughs) Um, You know, they didn't necessarily gather in auditoriums uh, or look things up, but they they had this nomadic way of life at the time as they're traveling. Um, they, I think some of the questions that they have is, is um, in part, like, why us? Mm-hmm. 
Um, also, I, I would imagine, like, where do we come from is incredibly important because, uh, you know, in, in that day and age, your lineage really did define you. Um, our nationalism today is probably mm. the, a, a closer analogy, but it was completely possible for them to understand that they were slaves in Egypt, but never Egyptians. Um, so they're they're in this moment, they're moving, so that has to be one of the major questions. Um, the farther back you dig in this story, I think one of the questions that it poses, that Genesis poses and Moses is pointing them to, is why and, and in what way are they particular? Um, you go back to Adam, Adam has Abel and Cain, and Cain kills Abel. And Genesis makes a very clear point that Cain was not going to become an, an important line, mm-hmm. but Seth would. Mm-hmm. And then it traces Seth through the, the early earliest history and gets to Abraham and gets to Isaac and gets to Jacob. And Jacob's interesting to me because, so again, they're coming out of Egypt, they're going into the land, they're going to have a sense of how are they going to set up this new nation religious state that God has promised them. Well, it's Jacob's sons that become the 12 tribes. Uh-huh. There's a lot in the the Jacob narrative that is, um, oh, it, it's history, but I'm looking for a different word. It's the it's the, the patriarchal history. It's, it's identity for these yeah. people. It's formative. That's, yes, yeah. yes. Those are both excellent. It's not grimy but uh, yeah yeah and it is I think a good it's good for us because where we see you know in the story with Jacob uh, throughout the different weeks of the series we're going to kind of key in on different relationships that he had because yeah there's what three two three thousand years of separation between us and him and yet people are people and the the I like that grimiest, you know, the, the, the griminess that he's experiencing in these relationships, we experience too. Um, just an aside, I, I love Dan where you went there with the uh, Jacob's sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and then Jesus comes on the scene later and he essentially imagines a new Israel, mm. um, even coming out of Galatians, right? The Israel, of, you know, the true Israel of God, mm. um, of uh, those who are, are found in the faith. And I, I do think that one of the things that is cool in the book of Genesis is it's it's really we're tracing this promise that starts, well, in creation, and then God reminds them of in Genesis chapter 3, um, and then that's traced through this f- family line. And once we hit Jacob, you see almost a uh, an explosion or a branching out where it's not just the uh, the one descendant, but it's it's the the many descendants mm-hmm. and the family that then becomes the new people, um, which leads us yes to where we are in Genesis chapter twenty five. So this this first week we're looking at Genesis twenty five through twenty seven. Uh, we don't have enough time to read the entire passage, and so um, maybe a quick, you know, Chris, a quick summary just of what what's happening in these early stages of Jacob's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we see Jacob and Esau, and they come on the scene, and I think like a lot of siblings, they have really different wiring, right? Mm -hmm. Like Esau is kind of this super um, hyper-masculine man's man who's like out 
killing stuff with his bare hands and we, um you were you just know. talking about the show alone yes. a little bit ago yeah. today yeah, and yeah. I, you could imagine esau like being the winner he would have alone. done very yeah. well yeah he, right. he would be like a wilderness yeah. survival guide i mean with all those wild beasts yes with all the wild beasts so this is kind of the picture that's painted and you know you kind of get the picture of jacob he's a guy who sits in tents uh-huh and you're like huh <laughs> okay maybe a little less than Impressive, and he's it, the guy that stays at the hotel whenever you know you go do the wilderness retreat. So, yeah, are we talking like Bear Grylls, or, or is that too <laughs> low? Sorry for the dig. <laughs> Shout out, love you, Bear. <laughs> so, you know, the father, you know, the dad gravitates towards Esau. The yeah. mom gravitates towards, you know, Jacob, and you know, we start to see some shenanigans and kind of come on the scene and Jacob starts deceiving um, out mm -hmm. of, you know, maybe it's too much to assume a place of insecurity or, you know, whatever. But um, so then we we see the there's now enmity going to happen and there's going to be sibling rivalry come mm -hmm. to the fore. Mm -hmm. Which um, you guys grew up, you have siblings? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All boys. All so, so, yeah. so girls. So you understand this, though, to an extent. We all we all understand yeah. to a, to a certain extent. I do. I was talking to a uh, friend, Kyle, the other day, and uh, he has. Um, I don't want to tell too much of his story, but um, you know, they've got two sons, and they're kind of they s are at each other sometimes. And uh, anyway, he put this into perspective. He's reading a book, and it was uh, this book is about siblings and relationships that siblings have, and um, basically, in the proper context, sibling rivalry is is good because it gives you a safe place to work through and understand how to have conflict mm. and how to forgive and it's uh, it should be the safest place um, and yet often because of our brokenness this conflict as what we see here with Jacob and Esau um, is very damaging uh, very damaging it's used you know Jacob uses it to manipulate uh, to advance himself to put down his brother um, and Esau he's a, a kind of a tragic character in some ways a kind of a buffoon in other ways like just doesn't really care about his yeah. birthright and his like you don't yeah. get his side of the story because it's not written for his side of the story but I just I sometimes imagine and wonder what would it be like to be Esau? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think manipulation is a good word because I think Jacob in a moment of Esau's like weakness or desperation takes real advantage. I mean, a birthright for lentil soup. Um, I mean, if you're going to trade it, at least, you know, get Go you, get you some potato. All, yeah. all you can eat sushi buffet yes. or like a prime rib <laughs> or something like lentil soup. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so there is, I, th I think, manipulation and taking advantage is mm. um, a good way to des describe how Jacob kind of plays Esau. Mm. And, and you're right, Esau kind of does end up being a little bit of a tragic, a little bit of a victim, but also kind of a tragic figure a little bit mm -hmm. in all this. Even later, um, was it Hebrews, uh, uh, Hebrews 12, I think, refers back to Esau in those same w way. He, it's an admonition for believers to not give up on the things that God has rightfully given them for something, yeah. you know, as um, trivial as a meal that God would mm -hmm. provide. Um, yeah. So I, 
so this is I've been we had some language uh, outside of this room before we sat down with with some other friends um, who were working on the sermons and that and the idea that in Genesis um, the brokenness of relationships is normalized mm-hmm. um, is hard to escape like it seems like from this point in the story everywhere Jacob turns he and his sons will bump into more often than not more difficult relationships as if you know that brokenness follows the family tree a bit but even in the passage um, in, in Genesis 25 I think is where the the promise or the prophecy is found that Jacob will mm-hmm. basically overtake Esau and so you you mm-hmm. can't also get past the how normative the redemption story is mm. there's this sense um, and and I know that this can go into pretty deep theological waters pretty quick but there is this sense that whether they like it or not, God is up to something. My guess is Jacob's not doing this because he wants what God wants at this point. But, yeah. you know, what we understand from the story is, you know, what, what God tells his mother mm-hmm. and what God, what's written in Scripture is that even his deception is not, like, bigger than the throne of God. Mm-hmm. And that um, the redemptive story that's going from Adam to Joseph into the people of in Egypt, out of Egypt into the Promised Land, um, is something that's divinely written, and and that that is normative for the people of God. Um, I so. love that distinction. The these relationships and this brokenness is is normalized, but that in itself is not normative. And mm. what is is the redemptive arc that God is tracing, and ultimately, I think where we see this 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 go. I mean, preachers got to preach in a way, but the, you have Jesus Christ who is the, Mm -hmm. the perfect older brother, right? Mm -hmm. Who voluntarily gives up all of his rights Mm -hmm. for the benefit of his, his sibling, the the younger brother, which Mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. Mm No, that's good. Yeah. Well, and you think you got to think for the original readers and hearers, like the horror that Genesis tells, like this idea of sin infecting every good thing mm-hmm. and violence is now present and deceit is now present. And like, it, it seems like almost at the point they get here, they've seen good in like Abraham, but they even saw Abraham be deceitful mm-hmm. in moments. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that like, how much will corruption derail what God is doing, I think, is one of the tensions that the the, the original hearers had to feel. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I love that, Brad. Though the like, Jesus is the big brother. That's mm-hmm. out of Hebrews. That's spot on, and he does everything different. Yeah, for our redemption, not for mm-hmm. his own good. And I do think we get to ask ourselves, like piggybacking off that, for the people who may be listening that don't have siblings or don't come from a large family mm-hmm. or, or, you know, may find themselves decently isolated or whatever. Like, um, you know, we have to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ in a new way. If we're called into a new humanity mm-hmm. in the the first among us, are the older brother, Jesus, is the exemplar of the faith covenant community, mm-hmm. um, then even if you don't have four or five brothers or sisters, I still think within the church, you also see the temptation for a non-biological but spiritual family, enmity, jealousy, 
strife, deceit, like all these things are mm -hmm. also a temptation within the covenant people as well as our living rooms. Yeah, and our natural impulses aren't going to be wired. I was thinking earlier today uh, when we were, we were talking actually about Easter and, and other kind of planning, and uh, one of the members of our teaching team threw out this that we don't have great models in Scripture, right? We have just Jesus. Jesus is the perfect model. Mm -hmm. um, and it got me thinking, like, well, we, we actually do have more, though, than just Jesus. Obviously, we see, uh, we see these redemptive moments in God working throughout Scripture, but you have Genesis 1 and 2, and you have Revelation 21 and 22, and in the middle mm -hmm. of that, you have Jesus. And so we have these pictures. We have this sense of, hey, relationships are broken. They're not how they're meant to be. Um, there's an illustration that I came across this week of uh, a flock of birds. And um, when, when a flock of birds is flying together, uh, when they need to, a course correction, um, they don't, like it takes them, you know, just a split second, and the mm -hmm. whole flock can just turn. And, and why is that? Because they're wired in a way in relationship with one another to not need more than that. And yet we, as uh, uh, ourselves and our flawed humanity, um, and the relationships that we have, there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of mess. And ultimately this side of redemption, this side of Revelation 21, 22, like we're not gonna do that well. And so I do think, um, well, I kinda wanna pivot a little bit just with the last couple of minutes we have here and just kinda preview, where are we going in this series? Because we're looking at mm -hmm. uh, one f guy and, and his family, um, but we're, we're also kind of identifying different relationships to kind of speak some application into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's remarkable. As you read the story of Jacob, as we read it together and, and um, you, you know, for our, uh, those of you joining us here, I mean, you could start uh, and go over it several times, but you'll see sibling relationships, uh, par parental relationships, uh, grandparental, grand grandparental, is that grand, the right word? Grand grandparents. Yeah. Y'all are great, you <laughs> grandparents out there. Um, those relationships. You'll see uh, singleness that's pursuing, you know, a spouse. You'll see... Uh, presumed singleness that doesn't seem to have interest mm -hmm. in, the, in the particular story and anything other than faithfulness. You'll see marriage. Uh, you'll see this kind of like dating courtship kind of thing. And so, mm -hmm. um, but what you see through all of that, some successes, some challenges, you see redemption, mm -hmm. the redemptive story continuing to play out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a big thing to take away. Like even if each particular circumstance doesn't apply directly to our individual lived reality or circumstance. Um, God is a God who draws near, mm -hmm. and in the messiness and the brokenness of whatever relational systems we have, He's going to move and work in powerful ways. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you guys. Uh, this first episode back. Uh, looking forward to doing more of these conversations in the weeks yeah. to come. Uh, you can find this resource and more on our website, uh, calvary.church slash resources. Uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we invite you to like, subscribe, uh, share it with others. I'm um, just excited to yeah step back into this and have uh, further conversations. And hopefully what we find is just this, this renewed idea throughout uh, Jacob's life that Yes, relationships and messy relationships and grimy relationships, right? They are normal. 
Um, and yet God still is calling and working through all of us and through those relationships uh, to bring about his promises uh, and to bring blessing to the world. So we'll catch you again next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.